My name is Bob, and I serve on the elder team here at Central Bible Church. And it's a real blessing to have the Seth family with us this morning. Roger and Hiroko, and Satoshi, Sawyer, and Mina. And Satoshi is actually starting at George Fox University next month. Roger and Hiroko have worked for many years in India, where they helped start an aftercare home for teenage girls rescued from trafficking uh, and abuse. The Seths have been connected with CB for over 25 years now, going back to 1991, when Hiroko attended CB while studying at Multnomah. And then Roger and Hiroko got married here at CB in 1993, before going to India a couple years later in 1995, where they've served faithfully ever since. Roger, welcome. It's a blessing to have you here, and we look forward to what you and Hiroko would like to share with us this morning. Good morning. It's kind of funny to walk down the aisle and think about 24 years ago in June that Hiroko walked down the aisle when we got married. Um, such a different time from then till now. Seems like the, the time goes really, really quickly. And now our kids are coming into adulthood and going into college years. And so our family's in lots of transition. We do want to say thank you to Central Bible for the many years that you have faithfully prayed for us and um, given financially to help us to be able to work in India and have been with us through some times that have been very difficult, um, very hard. And uh, I'm going to talk to you today from a story from the Old Testament. And then Hiroko is going to come and share a little bit about some of the girls who come to the aftercare home that is run through our local church in India. And we'll also show you a little bit of um, video that shows some of the women and the girls that are in that home. The question I want to ask this morning is, what does it take to change the world? Who is the type of person that can make an impact on the world? You know, in our society in the U.S., but also in India, lots of answers are always being given to that question, even if we're not asking it. The, the popular culture is telling us these are the kind of people who are important. In India, it's the Bollywood movie stars, it's the cricket stars, the sports heroes, it's um, government, people that get elected that have lots of power, it's the people that run big corporations who seem to make lots of decisions behind the scenes that control what happens in the world. And so it's very easy to think that to, to have an impact on the world, you have to be very rich very famous or have lots of power. And many people go for those kinds of things as they think about their life. But the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God is very different. In the kingdom of God, all kinds of people like you and me are called to make an impact. And we see that very clearly as we think about the life of Hannah. So as we get ready to think about Hannah, who was the mother of Samuel, I invite you to pray with me and ask Jesus to speak to us as we look at her story more closely. Jesus, we realize that your kingdom is so much better than what the world puts up and what the world tries to run by. 
and we realize that we are still learning how to walk and work in your ways. And we ask that you will help us today as we think more about the ways that we can make an impact on the world. Please speak to us by your spirit. Thank you for your word that gives us so much challenge and encouragement and also seems so relevant to our lives. Open our hearts and minds, we pray in your name. Amen. I like the story of Hannah because it's something that people in our uh, big city of India can really relate to. Um, the story of Hannah starts in 1 Samuel, and when you read it, there's all these little clues that somebody who lived very close to that time would pick up, but you and I probably miss. It says in 1 Samuel 1:1, there was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim. Now, just right there, if you were listening, you'd be thinking, oh no, from the hill country of Ephraim. That's the little tag that tells you something bad is here. Because this story happens just at the time of the end of the book of Judges. And at the end of the book of Judges, you have these horror stories that are given one after the other, other from Judges 17 onwards. And each time, it tells you that things happened from the hill country of Ephraim. The horror stories are the kind of things that we read in the newspaper in India a lot. Um, it's stories like in Judges 17, a man from the hill country of Ephraim. And then you find more things. This, this phrase keeps getting repeated. So like we have stories of Jewish people, Jewish people who are supposed to worship the one living God, who, who go around making idols, who go around stealing their parents' money. Um, we, we hear a story that's almost like the Sodom and Gomorrah story, except the, this time the traveler is a Levite priest and his concubine, not his wife. This is in Judges 19. They show up in a foreign city, but uh, foreign to them, but it's a city in Israelite territory, the tribe of Benjamin. Um, he's taken in, and the men of the city want to come and have sex with him. And the host says, no, no, you can't do that because we have good hospitality. Take my daughter and his concubine instead. And the, the concubine is put outside, abused all night, and dies on the doorstep the next morning. The guy hears about it. He, he then takes her body and chops it up into 12 pieces, sends it throughout the country and says, has anything this horrific been done? It's just stories that you think, how could this be? Just brutality. Um, just people that are full of lust, you hear the same tribe doesn't want to be held accountable for what happened. The other tribes say, come on, send the men out who did this horrible deed, this deed we can't imagine it, that we ourselves would be doing, and let's punish them. And they're like, no, and they have a big war. It causes the whole tribe to get wiped out. Um, but, you know, things just keep going from bad to worse. Um, the way they solve it is the tribe is wiped out, the men are gone, now they need wives for the people... Um, the, the few survivors of the tribe. And so they traffic a whole bunch of women from other tribes to get, marry these men. It's just, you know, things just keep going crazy, going so wrong. And, you know, you probably know how the book of Judges ends with that phrase, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And you read it and it's kind of like an understatement. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just horror and violence and... Uh, dehumanized way of living 
by the people that God called for his name and his fame and his glory, by the people that were given the law, the Mount Sinai law that would help them to live justly and to bless the nations around them, like we sang, uh, read in Psalm 67. The people are supposed to bless the nations and they've just gone into chaos. Can you imagine living in that time, that kind of horror as a woman, Hannah, in a man's world, very patriarchal society, and we find in 1 Samuel 1, she is in that same region, the hill country of Ephraim. She's wife number two of a husband that has two wives, and we find out very quickly that her life is full of anguish and pain. She's not able to have children, and the other wife is taunting her and making fun of her. So this is a woman that's very marginalized, has very little power in her world, and is filled with grief. And you think, that's the kind of people that the world would just sh shove aside and say, You're, there's nothing that can happen in your life. Nothing you can do that would make a difference in the world. But it's this woman, Hannah, who has a huge impact on the history of her family, her tribe, her whole nation, and actually has an impact on the history that affects you and me. So the question, who can change the world and how can it get changed, the Bible gives us a very startling answer through Hannah's life. I said Hannah's context is very similar to what we see in India. Our local church has about 100 people, um, and we live in a very, very large city of 20-plus million people. And every day we see newspaper articles about rape. Um, we've had horrific stories that have come in the last few years, just about the same time that we were starting the aftercare home for girls rescued from sex trafficking. And there's a sense that people are entitled to just do whatever they want and get away with it. And especially men can really take advantage of women. And so as we've had teenage girls coming into this home that our church runs, um, girls aged 12 to 17, we hear story after story of abuse, of incest, of girls that tried to escape from a brothel and ran out on the street only to have the taxi drivers gang up around her and then rape her more and abuse her more. And she ends up with us. And the women on our team hear this over and over. And so they're the kind of women, the kind of stories, that would be something like Hannah. I don't know if you're able to kind of put yourself in Hannah's shoes and feel the kind of things that she felt. But when we read 1 Samuel 1, um, we hear that she was provoked in verse 7 until she wept and couldn't eat. And her husband wasn't very sensitive. Now I can identify with this. Uh, not very sensitive, he would say to her, you know, Hannah, why are you crying? Aren't I worth more to you than 10 sons? Why is it that you're so sad? He kind of just you know, invalidates the emotion that she's feeling. He seems oblivious to what the other wife is doing and tormenting her. And so you have a woman that's in great pain who desperately wants to have a child. In her culture, that would mean so much, right? That would validate her as a person. It might not be the right thing to say that having a child would validate her as a woman, but that's the belief system she's in. And so, you know, her and her future is tied to this child, especially if it's a boy. It's like her insurance is like the person that will care for her when she gets old. Again, we look at women in India and we understand this. Um, we see this thing where the mother really has this bond with the son, and so she gets him a wife, and it's all about the mother and the son. He has to grow up and provide for her, and she's been mistreated by her family, her in-laws, so much. She has this chain of violence going on to her daughter-in-law, um, and so if you're the daughter-in-law in that picture, 
you're powerless, you're treated like a slave, you're not appreciated. The husband isn't really loving you or standing up for you. He's listening to his mother. Just all kinds of things. This is the kind of dynamics affecting Hannah. So what does she do? And this is the first thing we think about how you change the world. What did Hannah do? In Hannah's pain, her very real sorrows, she turned to God. She went to God and poured out her heart to him and and just um, looked to him for her help. So if you think about somebody who would change the world, they're honest about the pain and the sorrow in their own life and around them, but they go to God with it. In 1 Samuel 1, she went to the tabernacle. It says in verse uh, 9, when her family had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. So as she's praying, Eli thinks that she's drunk because she's so anguished she's moving her mouth and no words are coming out. And he, he challenges her and says, you know, get rid of your, your alcohol. And she says in verse 15, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Think about Hannah. She has so much pain, and what does she do with it? She pours it out. She takes it to God. And if you and I become the kind of people that do that with the pain, the stress, the challenge in our life, it seems counterintuitive, but that actually puts us on the path of being the kind of people who can actually impact our world. Our world is full of people that are denying all the pain in the world. We have all this kind of nice-sounding messages that come through in our TVs and movie shows that kind of uh, gloss over all the hard things in the world or make it just too easy to solve, and, and we don't want to acknowledge the grief that we bear. But the biblical way, the Hebrew way, the very Jewish way of doing things is to be honest and to, to be real with God. Be real. If you think about your life, can you be real with God? If you're angry at him, if you don't understand, if you're sad, can you be real about where you're at? That reality just sets you up to experience this amazing God who wants to relate to us. But the second thing about Hannah is not just that she's real and pours out her heart in pain. The second thing is that she's very generous, very giving in her life toward God. Because right away in her prayer, she's saying, if you give me a son, this thing I want the most, this thing that I think would make my life happy, if you give me that, I will just give him right back to you. The thing that you dream about and want and think about, can you give that to God? Can you just give that right back to Jesus? That's kind of a very generous, open kind of person. A person that says, look, you can have my life. You can have my future. You can have my hopes and my dreams. That's what Hannah's doing. She's just putting it right back all to God and saying, you can have it. And that's the generous spirit that Hannah has. And that's why Hannah becomes a person that actually changes her world. Can you change your world? 
Well, if you have that heart response to God to give your, all that you care about back to him, that will make you a person that can actually change your world. And so as we read the verse, uh, the chapter one, we find that that's indeed what Hannah did. God did bless her with a son. She was overjoyed. She kept him at home to wean him. And eventually she took him back to Shiloh, to Eli, to say, this is the, I'm, I'm that woman who prayed in anguish. This is the son God gave me, and I now give him back to the Lord. And you read the end of, of verse one, and it's, she says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. This generous heart that will just give to God. I don't know how you are, but I know how I am, and I tend to be very selfish. It's just, you know, God gives me a blessing, and I want to hold on to it for myself. I don't want to, like, let go and give it to him. Isn't that challenging? This person who has so little power, who's so in agony, so anguished, you'd think that if God gives her what she wants, she'd cling on to it. Now I have something. But she says, I give it to you. We have girls that come through our aftercare home, and we see their heart response to Jesus, and they're so giving back to him, it's extremely humbling, extremely challenging. And again, the gospel, the kingdom reality, the biblical reality is that people like that um, are going to make a huge difference on our world. Could that be a person like you? Then the third thing to say about Hannah is what we find in chapter 2. Right then it says, then Hannah prayed and said, and now we have a whole chapter filled with a song that this woman Hannah sang. And I want to tell you that this third trait about her is amazing. She sang about God's heart, God's character, and she sang it over her own life. She sang it over her own son, her own family, and she sang it over her own world, her, her country of Israel, her tribe. She sang it over her nation. And the things that she sings in her song act like a prophetic, powerful force that we find out in the whole rest of the book of Samuel. The very things she's singing about are just being shown to be true over and over again. So I want to give you examples about what she sings about. Because, again, you might see yourself as somebody who's weak or not worthy or someone who's in too much pain or too distracted, or too old, or too young. We have all kinds of things we think about ourselves that would say, I'm not the kind of person that God's going to use now. Maybe he used me then, or maybe he's going to use me in the future. Or I'm, I'm the kind of person that gets shuffled aside and what I think, what I do doesn't matter. But actually, the kind of things that you, right now, can sing about God actually have the power to change the world around you. That's what Hannah's song shows us. So, for a few examples, Hannah sings and says, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, don't keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. In Hannah's world, there are arrogant people, most of them seem to be men, arrogant men who are who, who are shamelessly flaunting the things that God cares about. The, the ones that are talked about right away are Eli and his wicked sons. Eli the priest, his grown-up adult sons who are taking advantage of people coming to offer at the temple, who are kind of like grabbing them and saying, I want the meat now. I'm not going to do it in the way that Moses told us to do it. And they take the best for- portions for themselves. 
Later on, um, Hannah's son Samuel is given a word by God that says to him, Eli, you have grown fat off of your boy's evil behavior and you didn't stop them. You didn't take a stand. By your actions, you joined in that arrogant posture. And so nobody in your family is going to be old anymore. In fact, your two sons are going to die on the same day. That's how you'll know that this word is coming true. And your sons who are so full of you, and you who are so fat, you're gonna, your family is going to be people that beg for food. That's the kind of thing that Hannah is singing about here. She goes on to say, The bows of the warriors are broken. Those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. But those who were hungry, hunger no more. She's saying God knows what's really going on and God is the judge. She sings that at the time that her little boy is going in to, to become a, an apprentice in the temple, uh, the tabernacle. And what she's singing about comes true over the years. Do you see what's happening? What she praises God about, what she's in touch with about God's heart, actually is the kind of things that, by which God is like judging the world around her and remaking the world. She has the second section where it's kind of this reversal thing going on. The people that have the, uh, the weapons, their bows are broken. Those who are stumbling now have strength. The reversal. Those who are full are now begging for food, but those who are hungry, hunger no more. She who was barren, she's singing about herself. She who was barren has borne seven sons, but she who had many sons is pining away. She's singing about the kind of things that God does. There are psalms in, uh, that, that speak of this kind of thing where it says God uh, took the, the beautiful land and made it a desert. He took a desert and made it a beautiful land. He opened a way for his people to come through. She's singing about God's ability to remake, to reshape. Can you feel how that's such good news? Read the newspaper. Look around you. Look at what's happening here. Look at what's happening in other parts of the world. We want this God that can reshape and remake. This God that will make true justice happen. This God who will not just speak rhetoric like the people that seem to come into power and speak arrogantly, but this God who will make something happen that will make goodness flow to everybody, even at the margins. Even the people like Hannah, who is singing this out at this point in her life, She's had one good thing happen to her, one big answer to prayer, and she's just turning that back into praise and praising the God who does the God kind of things, and she praises God that he can reverse what's going on. And the rest of 1 Samuel, we see how God reshapes and remakes her society. Who can change history? It's a person like Hannah, a person like you. A person like me, if we sing and focus on the things that are true about God. It goes on. Um, the one that I really enjoy, if I read through this song, goes down to verse, uh, well, I'll say verse 10. She sings, those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. There's a story that happens later on. I just realized this, even though I went to Multnomah and studied Bible. I'm sure some of my professors would be upset I didn't realize it until now. But I just realized that um, in, in uh, chapter 7, um, there's a story where Samuel is now an adult. He becomes the priest, and he's the prophet in Israel. And 
he's leading the, the group of uh, the nation through a repentance, almost like a ceremony. They come together and the Philistines, the enemies, hear about it and they think, aha, this is the time to attack. And they come against them and the people cry out, Samuel, pray for us. He prays and God says, thunder from heaven. And it throws the Philistines into a panic and the people rout them. They just win the battle that day. So the thing that Hannah sang about long ago when Samuel was just a little barely out of weaning kind of boy, she's singing God can thunder against his enemies and it literally happens in her son's life. Just think about that for a moment. The things that you pray, the things we just prayed together with Dan, the, the things that you might pray tomorrow about God proclaiming over Portland, proclaiming over Oregon or the U.S., or proclaiming for India, those things can come true years from now. You can have an impact by what you sing about over your world. And just before that, in, in verse 9, it ends by saying, it is not by strength that one prevails. It is not just by might or weapons or, or money that one prevails. She's singing that. Hannah is singing that. The one who doesn't have much strength or power is singing, it isn't by strength that one prevails. It's by God. And again, in the book of Samuel, you have these amazing stories. Jonathan, the son of King Saul who gets anointed later, he's that one in, in 1 Samuel 14. He tells his armor bearer, let's go fight these guys. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He's speaking out the same truths that Hannah was singing about. You have uh, David meeting Goliath. And Goliath is laughing and mocking, you come against me with sticks and stones, what are you? And David says, you come against me with weapons, and he lists them all, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, whose armies you have been uh, insulting. So he comes against him in the name of God, and it's not by strength that 17-year-old David prevails against the tall Goliath, but it's by God. So again, we have Hannah, Hannah the second wife, Hannah the vulnerable person, Hannah the one that was struggling and had nowhere else to turn but God, Hannah who's not taken very seriously by her priest, by her husband, or by the women that's in the household, Hannah who somehow found a way to open her heart to God, to be giving and generous with what she had, and then sings about the truth of who God is. Hannah, what she does, has a huge shaping influence on her world. Because it's through Hannah's generous gift of her son that Samuel ends up there with Eli. And you know the story from Sunday school where one night God spoke and it was the boy Samuel hearing and Eli had to coach him. This is the living God talking to you. And so Samuel listened and he heard this very strong word of judgment against Eli, his mentor, uh, where God was actually making these things right. And Samuel grew up with this sense of uh, allegiance to God, loyalty to God's ways. Where did he get that from? I mean, we, what we know about Eli is Eli had a lot of compromise in his life. Eli was kind of turning a blind eye. Eli wasn't training his sons to really follow God. Samuel must have gotten that from his mother, Hannah, the few years he was with her, the kind of spirit she carried, the kind of things that she did. Maybe this is just a representative song of what she sang, and every year she would go to Shiloh and give him a new coat in the new size as he grew up. Maybe she was singing these kinds of songs all through her life. Something about this woman made a huge impact. That is what I'm trying to tell you today. Hannah's example made a huge impact. So we work with girls that have been horrifically abused. 
Um, they come to us, and I'd like to have Hiroko come up and share a bit more about them. Because as we hear their stories, you would think nothing is good is going to come from here. But actually, it's these girls, we believe, that have the power to shape history in the future. Um, it's so nice to come back here. And uh, talking about Hannah, I was just uh, reminded God is so, uh, I think in his eyes, broken people are special. And actually all of us are broken. And uh, girls who come to college homes, they are so broken um, in your face. Yeah. They are suicidal, they cut, they scream, cry, nightmares, and they bang their head, and all of that is really common. But I think many of us are broken inside and hasn't shown. And I just want to share a small story about a girl. We call her uh, Leah. She was uh, sexually abused, raped, and she came to us. And uh, all the girls who come to Courage Home uh, are rescued by police. So abusers are usually arrested. So all the girls have to testify in the court against abusers. We have lawyers who come help us. So when the uh, Leah's court testimony was decided, she was summoned to the court. So lawyer came about two weeks before that day and started preparing her, and we do the mock trial. But when that happened, usually bring her back a lot of memories of what happened because she has to talk about it. And so the first day when lawyer came, she practiced, but she started having flashbacks and she started crying. At night, at bed, she was just crying. And actually, she's a Hindu girl. And just to give you background, uh, all uh, staff are Christians, but because we have license with government, we have protocol, we don't preach, we don't evangelize the girls. That's really, we have to be careful to keep the license. So we all follow that things. So she was crying at night at bed, but she heard the voice, and that voice said, my precious child, why are you crying? I am with you, don't, like, uh, I am with you, don't be afraid. And when she heard that voice, she just felt so peace. She didn't know, but she fell in sleep, and next morning she woke up, and she was surprised. Oh, I went to sleep. Oh, I heard that voice. And she came to the caregiver and said, I heard this voice, and that gave me peace. And uh, who is, uh, it was a male voice, and she asked, who is that voice? Is that God? And uh, that kind of things happen again and again in a college home. God really speaks to the girl. And uh, another time, just about a year ago, we have a 12 bed. And in five years, we have actually 180 girls came. But uh, we have 12 beds, so girls come and go. And uh, that time, youngest was 12. And she was the most educated, so she could read and write Hindi. And many girls who come doesn't, never had education. So in our home, we teach them uh, to read and write. 
But one night, she got a book from library in Hindi. She started reading aloud to other girls. So they are making sako. She was reading this book. And we didn't, I didn't know we had that book, but actually it was a purpose-driven life translated to Hindi. I didn't even know that existed, so I don't know how that get to a connection. But, uh, so she started reading purpose-driven life to other girls, caregivers outside of the circle just watching what happened. And she said, she was reading, uh, there is a you are here not by accident. There's a purpose in your life. And they start discussing, what does it mean? Do I have purpose in my life? How are we going to find out? And other girls said, maybe we should ask God. And how do we ask God? And some other girls said, well, maybe we should pray. And other girls said, how are we going to pray? And the one girl said, I think it's a conversation with God. So they decided to have a prayer time. They hold hand <laughs> and still caregivers outside. And they start having prayer meetings. And one girl is just asking God, God, show me purpose of my life. Help me to grow. Help me to learn. Help me to find that life. And they, start, they just kept praying for courage home. And they start praying for stuff each by name. And they had prayer meeting like for like 45 minutes. Since then, every night, God start having prayer meetings, talking to God in Jesus' name. And I'm just amazed these girls, broken people, are so close to God. We actually don't know if they believe in Jesus. If you ask me as a Christian or not, I don't know. But sometimes I wonder if they might know God more than we do. So we have a, a two-minute video that gives you a chance to see some of these girls with their faces blurred. We can't show their actual identity. And some of the women who work in the home, just to give you a little flavor of what it's like in this aftercare home, where we're seeing all kinds of amazing things happening, along with lots of trauma and angst. So if you could roll that video, that'd be great. Thank you. 
close by telling one more story. Um, we had another girl who was quite young who came to us, and because of abuse, she had become pregnant, and that was how her mother realized that she needed help. It was something that happened in her neighborhood. This girl was 12, and she didn't really know a lot about these matters herself. And so the mother brought her to social services who sent her to our home because we're licensed with them. And um, this girl wanted to, to deliver the baby and give it for adoption, but she was so young um, and, and so small that the doctors initially told us, look, I don't think this is going to work. You need to terminate this pregnancy. And our team didn't want to have any of that. We always counsel girls to try to keep the baby if we can. And so we took her across the city to a, a, another Christian hospital an hour away, and that doctor said, yes, I think we can do this. And she took time to pray with the girl and, and, and kind of held her hand and prayed with her and then said to her, just keep asking Jesus to help and everything will work out for you. So on the way home, this girl was telling our counselor in the car, the one hour ride back, who is this Jesus? Is he a good doctor? So she knew nothing about him. So then, of course, when she asks, you can just tell whatever. So they had this long conversation about Jesus. And the other thing about this girl was when she first came to us, she was so numb and disconnected. Um, the women on the team were kind of a little bit panicky. When she starts to have labor pains, how will we know? Because she can't tell us what's happening inside. She can't say I'm hurting or anything. Um, but the day came, um, she did finally say once, it's hurting a little bit. And that was a big, huge message to get in the car and go an hour away to the doctor. Went to the hospital, got there at 10, admitted by 11. By 12 o'clock, the baby was born. Natural childbirth, everything fine. And then the, the and, and adopted out. The girl came back to our home, and she changed. Hiroko says she was like a little butterfly, flitting around, talking to people. It's like she became a little girl again. And she was just interacting and relating so well. And one day, she talked to the counselor and said, you know, um, I've heard from God, and I want to show you what I've written in my journal. And she said, uh, in her journal, she opened up and she said she was praying one time, and God said to her, you know, I am a king, and you're my daughter. That means you're a princess, and I'll never leave you. And at that time, we started having a lot of girls in the home saying, I'm a princess, I'm a princess. And we were thinking, okay, have the team kind of gone over their boundary and talking more than they're supposed to? Well, no, it went back to this little girl who was saying that to everybody. In fact, she had to testify in court against the abuser, and uh, she called her mother on the phone on, on one of the days, and her mother's wailing and saying, what am I going to do with you? Your life is ruined because this rape happened. There's no future for you anymore. I can't know what to do. And she's kind of carrying on. And the girl said, mom, stop crying. I have hope. I have a second chance. If you're going to carry on like this, just don't even come to court. And so she went to court and testified beautifully. She went home after that and a few months later contacted us, talked to our social worker and said, sister, never give up hope. This is the words of a 12-year-old girl who went through things that it's hard to imagine. A girl like Hannah speaking to us, saying, keep your eyes on this God who says, you are my child. You are royalty. You are the one through whom I am going to work in the world. And that's what we want to share with you as we end, that um, we're experiencing that. It's a lot of messy, stressful reality with God speaking into people's lives, with God giving his word. And you might be in a messy, stressful reality, but God can use you and me to change that like Hannah. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, we're in awe of the fact that you use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
And sometimes we might think we're wise in our own eyes, but then the truth is shown that we're very broken and we need your mercy and your redemption. Thank you that where we live in India, we're seeing you work in the hearts and lives of these girls. And that what we experience you saying to them is not different than what you want to do with us here or people in our area that are hurting. Help me to be like Hannah. Help me to be generous and give you all I have. Help me to be real and give you all my pain and sorrow. And help me to sing about what's true about you and make an impact on the world around me. Help my friends at Central Bible to do the same. Thank you that we have a hope that we can actually shape the world through your work. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.